0: Jay,
1: right in your face! Welcome back to the Fadeaway Podcast Offseason Edition, baby! Back at you this week with some fire basketball content for your head tops, uh, man. We're excited to uh, to share our, our guest this week because this dude is a staple in Canadian basketball. He's moved the goalposts mm-hmm. several several times. Him and his brother. Got to give the the shout outs to, to Tarek and Elias both. Um, but Elias actually from North Pole who's joined the show guys to talk about um what he's done all the players that he has relationships with just so many cool things man uh, i don't know if you want to give them a sneak peek into what you liked about the conversation
2: man i just i just liked the story of how he started it and like him and his brothers identifying that need for you know a, a a canadian basketball culture and you know obviously you we you know at that time when they when they did you know co-found when they co-found north pole hoops and i think it was 2011 there was a an nba culture here but there was never a high school culture there wasn't really much of a. You know, there maybe is a bit of a, of a university culture um uh, in, in canadian basketball but there was no high school culture at all and these guys basically created over the past 10 years a high school culture that you know top top college teams recruit from and nba teams you know are are also on the lookout because of this program so it was crazy to hear you know how they started it and you know how they've been able to maintain their program and the names that he dropped during you know the conversation was like you worked with these guys like a whole he's worked with you know with the whole new generation of canadian basketball players and it's been it was amazing to listen to him
1: my favorite part was when he talked about recruiting jamal and how his first experience with jamal murray and what that was like and Mm -hmm. you know what drew him to jamal i think was Incredible to learn about, and from a basketball fan perspective, like it's just crazy to hear about, especially after watching him in the bubble. And uh, honestly, it was just a great conversation. If you like basketball, you'll love this conversation. Uh, it was just very candid, and he's awesome, dude. So, shout out to yeah. you man, for joining the show. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get to our guest, Mr. Elias from North Pole Hoops.
2: Uh, Elias, yeah, so let's just talk about, you know, let's get right into it, talk about, you know, North Pole Hoops. Um, and, you know, what really drove you to start North Pole Hoops and, and how did you, you know, work on building it from the beginning?
0: And my brother kind of hung it up and started full time in the media. So he worked for Slam Magazine for a little bit and then he was covering the Raptors and then we jumped in at full throttle. So I went into construction. I did full time construction and taught basketball, basically funneled in enough money to send Tariq on his trips to the U.S., And from there, it just kept going and evolving one step after the other. And here we are today. Um, It's a national basketball media platform as well as a scouting service, events company. Um, You know, we we try to touch it all in in Canadian basketball.
1: Absolutely, man. Now, did you guys play basketball growing up? Is this how your influence to start North Pole Hoops um, began? Did you yourselves play it or were you just fans of the game when you started?
0: Definitely, man. We played against – We played against a lot of competition in the Mississauga area and Mississauga. I don't think a lot of people give it credit uh, or enough credit. Mississauga is pound for pound top producer in the country. It's Mississauga Brampton and then Toronto. A lot of people on TV because, you know, because Toronto is a recognizable name, they'll say, Oh, coming, hailing from Toronto. Usually Nick Stauskas, they'll call him from Toronto. Naz Long uh, with the Pacers from Toronto. That's, Totally not the case. They're from Mississauga. Tristan Thompson from Brampton. Corey from Pickering. You know what I mean? So, like, Mississauga is where it all started. That's where the passion came about. I used to be on the court playing outdoor ball, getting my ass kicked by guys that were much older, uh, by three, four years older. And that really elevated the level of passion uh, because back in those days, like, you lost one game and you're probably not coming back on the court for another two hours because – guys got next, right?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. And so You gotta hold the, your
1: own too. There's no ref calling fouls for you.
0: Exactly, man. It was just a tougher game. There was it was more gritty. And I think that's where it all started, kind of the concrete jungle. Um and yeah, kind of it just built from there. And I think the need for the the chase and the dream for a scholarship took it to a whole nother level. And when when I recognized that we weren't gonna get that look, mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that for the next guy coming up who was as psychopathic about basketball as we were like, they, they at least had that opportunity. And yeah. thankfully, you know, we've helped with over, over near 400 scholarships, uh, in our 10 year span. Wow. So definitely proud of that. And, but Mississauga is where it all started, man.
1: Yeah, that's incredible, man. And congrats to you guys putting that together. It's a great, uh, it's a great initiative. And I know that you guys just said you've helped 400 people, Get scholarships, and that's incredible. Whether you make it to the pros or not, that's a scholarship to get an education. So that's Absolutely. it's a win. It's a win-win.
0: Absolutely, man. That's that's the measure of success for our company. We said that from the beginning. You know, we're gonna put the the kids first. We're gonna put the game second, and then business follows after that. And I think as a result of keeping that mantra and keeping it intact, we have a strong, strong foundation that people support, and the mainstream is starting to get behind. So, you know, God willing, it just continues in that in that path.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you you say, you you know, you help that many people, it's so important to, you know, learn about, you know, how did you start scouting basketball? How did you start, you know, looking at people and saying, you know, this person has a lot of potential, has a lot of talent. And then not only how did you, you know, learn to scout people, how did you create those relationships with, you know, maybe the U S schools or with, um, you know, U.S. programs that would kind of connect both the player and the school?
0: Right. The start, so from the identification standpoint, I think it started as far back as when I was 16, 17 years old and I was working for the city of Mississauga. I was doing instructional uh, basketball programs. This would be for the ages like 10 to 12 years old, guys that Mm -hmm. were just figuring out that they wanted to be serious about basketball. And through skill development, at such a young age, I could kind of project if this guy if I had this guy for two years, I know what he can become. And then two years would pass and that guy would still be in my class. His parents would sign him up again mm-hmm. and that kid would be in my class. And from from the jumps that he made and the incline that he made in his skill set, I slowly started to see also his physicals developing. And when I saw his physicals developing, I'm like, okay, so skill level plus level of athleticism, plus length, uh, you know, you could project this kid's going to be probably six, two, six, three. And I'm looking at a point guard at six, two and six, three. So I, I, that's where I credit, I think my evaluation skills, it's by learning from the youth that were, were in my skills program. Um, and, and, and then obviously you go through a lot of mistakes in the beginning. You're not, you don't got it all right in the beginning. Um, so you make mistakes and you learn from them just like in any business. Uh, for me, I think being in the era that Corey, Tristan, DeVoe, those guys, um, when they came into to division one, that was the first group of kids that we ever worked with. So it was the big wave of guys that went to Texas and, you know, played in Nevada for prep school. Um, that's who we were involved with very early on. So Learning from those guys and using them as measuring sticks, I think really aided in the, in the evaluation process. And then I think your second question was regarding uh, Division One coaches, NCAA guys, right? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah exactly.
0: Um, so Baylor was our first client ever, and they've been our client ever since. So we've been working with them for 10 years now wow. uh, from the days of uh, Brady Heslop and even, even before that. Um, this is a star program. Like their top five in the country every year eventually last year they finished the season undefeated and you know covid happened um yeah these these types of people when when I'm learning from a a coach Drew uh or a coach Jerome Tang or or those guys those guys have mentored me along the way and I've been very fortunate to to be able to call them a friend um though that's where it kind of all started and then from there you know their school gets a Canadian, and everybody's like, how did they find <laughs> out about him?" Yeah. And they're trying to find information. Then it moved on to Oregon. Then it moved on to Gonzaga for the first wave of Canadians at Gonzaga. Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And, it, and it just kind of kept going from there. At that time, as I mentioned earlier, I was funding Tarek's travels to the U.S. So he was going and meeting coaches, and we were building our scouting service at that stage.
1: That's very interesting, man. And actually, before we get into – all this in depth, Elias, I just wanted you to maybe explain to our listeners and even to myself personally, cause I'm not really all that familiar with everything that a scout does. So can you just tell us from a relationship building aspect, like what's your role in the player's um, career, do you, is it very transactional or is it more personal? Uh, is it more like, do you, do you get involved with their family? Like what's the level of the relationship between you and the player as a
0: scout? Sure, yeah, so at the at high school level, Um, It's non-transactional at all. The only transaction that's made is between myself and the Division I coach or the Canadian University coach. They pay us on an annual basis to get access to our database and to learn about the players in our database. And from there, my job is to identify specific kids for them that fit their needs for that graduating year. Or if they tell me, I'm going to be graduating a kid in 2022, so I need to fill that spot with a small forward. Then I'm going to look into my 2022 class and I'm going to say, this guy could play some high major hoops in the NCAA. You should be looking at him. When it comes to the family and the kid, my job is to help them, number one, understand that the rankings don't mean squat. A lot of kids get their head blown up with rankings. Now, the rankings matter to the coaches because we are essentially – funneling talent in to those levels but if kids get distracted at too early of an age with where they rank nationally it really messes up their psyche so my job is to is to make sure that number one once i've identified that they have talent it's identify my my this is the way i roll other people roll differently it's identify evaluate and then expose If I've identified, that's step one. Once I've evaluated, I'm giving that kid his evaluation, and I'm making sure that his parents and coaches hear it, so he could be held accountable. Right, and follows. Yeah, go ahead.
1: No, no, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was going to say, like the second part of my question to that would be because there's a lot of players that are not a lot of players, rather, are that level coming out of Canada. Yes, there are a lot now, but I'm sure when you started, there weren't as many as there are now. So when there are good players, there are people like you who are trying to build that relationship and reach out and, and bridge that. So do you find that, you know, well, what is it about North bowl hoops that draws people
0: to you guys? I think it's, to be honest, I think it's just open book. We have an open book policy. We have a no BS policy. So, you know, what you see is what you get. Like, I'm not going to beat around the bush with anybody. Um, If, there's been people in the past that haven't liked what I've said or didn't like their evaluation, you know, they, they, they end up learning the hard way or we just agree to disagree and move on. Um, But I think to answer your question, I think that's what kind of attracts people to it is that we're going to just put it down raw, real rugged, you know, like you like it, you like it, you don't let's move on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think that's probably the best way, you know, to go about things, you know, to be honest from the get go. And, you know, even if they, don't like what you hear it might you know fuel them and drive them to kind of improve even more you know um and i think that that could be something taken from uh, as a player you know who who might not get positive feedback all the time um mm-hmm. what i really want to actually i want to pick it back a little bit off a phase question you know not only what draws you what draws players to north pole hoops you know is it sometimes difficult to keep players in canada you know we've seen some players want to go play prep in the state. You've seen RJ Barrett go play prep in the States and then, you know, essentially go from the States and stay in the States and go to college in the States. Do you find that it's hard to keep players in Canada? Or do you get them earlier than that decision to, to go play prep in the States?
0: That's an awesome question. Um, so it's a, it's two part, I'm going to answer it in two parts. Um, I would say six, seven years ago, there was a need for the elite level high schoolers in Canada to go down South just because we didn't have the infrastructure for them. Yeah. We didn't have the level of competition that they needed. Now, if a kid is 16 years old, he's in 11th grade and he's kicking ass all over the place. It makes no like that, that kid needs to be challenged. If you don't put up a challenge in front of him, he's going to remain stagnant. And the ability for a scout at that point to project becomes harder because his level of competition is low. So I would say six, seven years ago, there was the need for guys to go down south. Over the past five years, we've built a prep infrastructure from west coast to east coast. Um, We're hitting almost every major province. There's private school programs that are traveling every year. um, North Pole hoops, does the live streaming of events and I'm, I'm actually on the call. So we're doing play-by-play and commentary. Like it's unheard of at this, at this level, you know what I mean? This is amateur level basketball, but these kids are absolutely spoiled with opportunity. So the need to travel down South isn't as, as much of a need anymore, especially when like last year, right? Last year we're headed into end of March and obviously unfortunate COVID hits. Right. But prior to COVID hitting, we were going into our national championship. We had teams flying in from Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Newfoundland, Quebec, uh, all to play in the Canadian Prep Championship. And 50 Division One coaches from the NCAA were confirmed to be at that event. Wow! They had already booked their flights. You see what I'm saying? Like this is unheard of in Canada, but those opportunities are new now and kids don't need to go south. In fact, the guys that need to, the only type of dudes that go south are the R.J. Barrett's of the world, are the Caleb Houston's of the world. Um, Jamal Murray decided to stay home and do it here. Okay. And his team traveled to the U.S. to play yeah. against U.S. competition, so he got a mix of both, and that was phenomenal for him.
1: Yeah, I but, think it was Wiggins that had gone down to Wiggins, Finley. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, a Huntington. Or Huntington, rather. yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah. I mean, a guy like you look at a guy like Jamal. Honestly, nobody even knew who he was. I identified him at 14 years old. I put him at the top of our rankings, and there was another kid, Justin Jackson, who went to Maryland and is now flip, uh, jumping around in the in the G League. He plays for the Magic in the G League. Mm-hmm. These guys were neck and neck at that point. Now Jamal didn't have the physicals of Justin. Justin's a six eight, like point forward. Jeez. At that, at that time, that's like Penny, Penny Hardaway. I don't know if you guys are of yeah. that era. But <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We're not, but we're, we're educated.
0: <laughs> so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or or T. Mackish in a way. Wow. Um, so that was the level of Justin, but he had already peaked. Now you throw in Jamal Murray into the mix, you throw him in with the Lions, and he was two years younger than everybody else and absolutely annihilating competition. That dude needs a challenge.
1: Well, wow. we want to hear more about that story, the Jamal story. So, where where was it that you had to identify him, and what was it about him that drew you? Um wh- Like, what specific skill set, if anything, or was it just a variety of things?
0: Yeah, so it was very specific, and it was actually so. It was at a camp. We were hosting a camp in uh, Kitchener Waterloo. That's where he's. uh That's where he's from. So, his dad was in the gym with him. Camp starts at nine o'clock. We were setting up tables around 8 a.m. So kids were coming in, starting to come in around 8.30, right? Sign up, get their jerseys, and then get warmed up. So camp starts at 9. Jamal Murray is already in the gym at 8 a.m., wow. sweating buckets. His shirt wasn't the same color as it should be because it was full of sweat. So now you got kids rolling in, and this guy's doing drill work at 8 a.m., He's doing eyes closed ball handling drills and doing it like he like he's an eleventh grader. This at this stage he was only in ninth. And wow. when you see when you see something like that, you can't help it. Like you got to stop and ask questions. So I spoke to his dad about it, and he was telling me like this is this is Jamal. This is how locked in he is. He's always like this. His left hand was as strong as his right hand. That's F-14. not fourteen. That's unheard of. Yeah, that doesn't happen. Like. Even now, after Jamal's done it, that doesn't happen. That's not normal. So I I continue to dig and do research and talk to his dad during camp. And at that point, he told me um, this was this was the first time this was ever reported publicly. He didn't own a social media account and he doesn't have a television at home that he has access to. Television is for the adults. So he didn't really watch TV like that. The only thing he watched was Bruce Lee. Karate movies, etc. So, when this is the type of kid that you're dealing with, you you're focused now on intangible traits, things that don't show up on the stat sheet. These are the type of kids I love. That's the Jamal Murray story, man. In a nutshell.
1: That's crazy, man. And that's like to me the craziest thing is that he's 14 at this point. And he's out of Kitchener, Ontario. You know, it's not like it's not like Kitchener was a hotbed of basketball talent, and it's not at this point, anyways. You know what I mean, like this dude is an anomaly by every definition of the word. It's absolutely, it's crazy to see how locked in he was even at such a young age.
0: Absolutely, man.
2: So you, you said when you were talking about Jamal, you know, you identify him, you, you see him and then you put him right at the top of your, your list or, or top of your rankings. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, how do you go about marketing these rankings? Do you, do you, the schools that you work with just see them and kind of say, oh, I want to take a look at this guy, this guy, and this guy? Or is it a lot of back and forth between you and the school and, you know, telling them these players' strengths, telling them these people, these players' weaknesses, what they can work on. Um, what's that kind of delivery like to the schools?
0: Yeah, so the the subscribers, the guys that we work with, you know, on a client relationship level, um for, for Jamal for a guy like Jamal, like it wasn't until the tenth grade that we really started talking to coaches about them. Um, But for everybody else, it's usually 11th, 12th grade that the real exposure starts to happen. And part of it is coaches actually signing into the service and asking questions or talking on the phone and asking questions and me giving them feedback. Um, The other side is we used to have our rankings public. So every four months I would release, you know, the top 25 for the class of 2016, let's say. Right. Four months later, or right before grad, we would put out a top 50 list. And that way it helped any other kid that was under the radar that needed a little bit of publicity. Um, so that's kind of how it went. It was either public, uh, but then the top 100 list, we have a top 100 for every graduating class. So, for example, if ninth graders right now, we know who the top 100 is for ninth graders right now. That may not be the case when they graduate because that right. list of teams, guys move up and down. Mm-hmm. But generally speaking, we understand the who's who.
1: Very interesting, man. Now that kind of goes into the, the amount of preparation that you need to do. And we often talk about the players and the amount of preparation that they need to do, obviously, because they're the ones that are going pro. They're the ones that are making it. But you yourself, like there's a, as a scout, you're watching tape. You're, you're researching, you're traveling the country, trying to look for these gems that nobody can find. Can you talk about, you know, how you approach that at this point, probably 10 years in, it's definitely a lot easier than when you had first started, but can you just talk about that a little bit, that aspect of being a scout?
0: Sure. I mean, uh, it's a grind. Um, there were days, there were days where I would go literally 9am was my first game and 9pm was my last game. And I would go from gym to gym to gym, um, probably do like five or six games in a day. Uh, today i can confidently say that there's no set of eyes in the entire country that includes the national team that has seen as much canadian basketball coast to coast as i have and that is what i hold that's where i that's where i put my hat on yeah. it's you're going to be a scout you're going to talk like if you're going to talk about kids and their careers and their futures you better be willing to back it up with data so i have books and books for days of data ranging back to these guys in eighth grade ninth grade that's what that's the cost of of you know doing this thing professionally you want to call yourself a scout you better live in the gym that's the bottom line and that's not for everybody you know there's there's guys that have done it but then have heard from their fiancés or have heard from their girlfriend and then they cut Mm -hmm. um you know and and i get that you got to be willing to sacrifice that's the bottom line um now that we're 10 years in you, we're starting to hear of other people who are doing it and trying to do it. Um, Some last, some don't. And if you have the, if you're just a gritty dude and you're willing to put in the time, it'll pay off.
2: So what's that team like now? You know, like you're talking about covering a whole country and Mm -hmm. Canada by, you know, by any means is not, not a small country. And there's a bunch of talent now, especially now, um, you know, from coast to coast, like you said. So what is your your team like? Um, do, you ha- do you have to go and travel province to province? Do you have people that are, you know, working alongside you? And how difficult is it to make and maintain a top 100 list?
0: Um, okay. Where do I start with that one? That's, that's a <laughs> question. Um, I think in terms of just gauging the talent and identifying the talent coast to coast, you have to rely on trustworthy resources who know their ball. Um, I think we're at a stage now where we know who those people are. And we've, you know, if if they give me a name, I'm going to look into that name. Uh, Usually what we would do is we have a national camp circuit. So every every spring, summer between April, May to all the way until September, we we hit every major market in Canada and we host an identification camp. That is an opportunity for all the kids who are really about that life to come to camp. And this is, it's it's a very gruesome two days. We're challenging them. We're putting them in the most competitive environments. Um, and then the cream rises to the top from there. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, you know, managing that list, the only way to like, you can't call a, you can't call a kid a top 50 or top 100 kid unless you've seen the rest of the kids, right right? Like I gotta go to British Columbia physically and see that kid along with my team. So we have a, we have a lead skill development trainer. His name is David Tyndale. He, he ha- he's responsible for developing the likes of Dylan Brooks with the Grizzlies, um, Andrew Nicholson who previously played in the NBA. Nick Stauskas, who he currently trains, um, Naz Long, who I mentioned earlier with the Pacers. So that's that's one very vital piece to the skill development portion of camp, mm-hmm. David Tindo. I'm on the scouting side. I had someone uh, named Mikias with me. Um, I've had my brother. We've had, like, there's been probably six different faces that are seeing this talent. So by the end of it, if six people are saying that this kid's at this level, it's most likely that he is, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of by, it takes, it's kind of like that. It takes a village type Mm -hmm. of mentality.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I was on your website for North pole hoops. And I saw that uh, you guys service NCAA teams. Obviously we were talking about the relationships that you've had in place or have in place currently. Um, But it said that you also worked with some NBA teams. So can you talk about your, your experience with the NBA and um, how it, it would differ from your experience with college, like uh, in terms of professionalism or I guess how more down to business they would be. Just talk about that whole experience.
0: Yeah. I mean, from a professionalism standpoint, I think it's the same, the NCAA and the NBA. Uh, I just find that the NBA does a lot more digging come draft time. Um, We've received a lot of calls usually around the draft or three months prior to the draft where they want to know about an Anthony Bennett as an example. When he was getting drafted. Well there's a lot of things that they asked about. That date back to his 7th and 8th grade years. Where they want to know about his surroundings. They want to know how he was in school. They want to know uh, what his habits were like. So there's a lot more homework done. On the NBA side. They'll even hire. Like around draft time. They'll go as far as as hiring private investigators. So draft night. Let's say. Let's say a dude gets drafted top two top three there's some guys who are gonna who are gonna spend draft night after they get drafted with their family and there's others who are gonna go blow 10 racks at the club and then have mcdonald's that night (laughs) you know what i mean and that's happened like that's legitimately happened with canadian dudes so that is the difference i find like there's some real digging and homework done because obviously they're investing if you're a lottery pick between five and 1 million or one and 5 million. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, <laughs> there has to be a lot more homework done. That would be the major difference. Um, I've worked with OKC and Philly on, a, on probably the closest of levels um, from the, from the rest of the teams. And OKC is legitimately, honestly, one of the best scouting teams that there is period. Um I, man, the, the best, like the most in-depth, yeah. period.
1: Well, so these these teams that you're dealing with, it's just, I guess, if they're interested in the player that you're in or are you the one that's reaching out to them saying, hey, take a look at this guy. I think he would be a good fit for the program that you have going on.
0: Um. So it depends. If the kid is a really high-level kid like a Jamal Murray, you guys remember the time where Thawn Maker was coming up?
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So... When Thawne Maker was coming up, everybody was talking about Thawmaker Maker when he was playing in Canada. And I was telling U.S. guys when I would go down south, like, Jamal's the better player. And they would look at me like I was crazy. And a couple years down the road, it proves to be true. Jamal Murray is the better player, in my opinion. I don't know about you, what you guys think. <laughs> but Definitely he's a agree with that one. he's a potential all-star this year.
1: Yeah. In my opinion. Bro, I just so drafted him in fantasy. I'm hoping, <laughs> man. I'm a...
0: <laughs> so, so yeah, man, with a kid like that, you start talking to him to the NBA guys as he's a senior in high school because now you know for more certain that he's going to probably cap at that level. Next thing you know, he commits to Kentucky. Well, now he's Kentucky's a a one and done place. Mm-hmm. So now you know even you're even more certain he's headed in that direction. So it's, it starts as early as their senior year in high school for the, for the top of the totem pole type guys.
2: What, what's that conversation like, you know, trying to explain, you know, this person is better than that person. This person got maybe, you know, better skills. Because I, I imagine, you know, like for a guy like Maker, even like back in high school, like he was skilled. He was good. And you see how big and how lanky he is. You know, it's basically seven feet. He can dribble. He can dribble through defenses. He can get by defenses, and he can shoot. So, as like an NBA scout who hasn't seen much of him, you look at him and be like, "Wow, this guy for sure has got a higher ceiling." Um, but you, you know, you disagreed from that point on, where where it wasn't obvious for Jamal that he was better. So, how do you, you know, try to relay that message to the scout, the NBA scout, who doesn't get as much exposure as you do?
0: Hmm. So the NBA scout, I think the one thing that they value above all is intangibles because at the next level, everyone's going to have a role. And at the next level, like if you made it to the league, if you already made it to the league, you're one of those guys that's one in a million or one in five million or whatever the number mm-hmm. is. So everyone at the league level belongs there. They didn't, they didn't get there by accident. So now you've got to get into the nitty gritty of, what keeps them there and what gets them better while they're there? Well, for a guy like Jamal, he was a lunatic about development. He he in, he made sure that there was no negative press around him throughout his whole career. Um, up until the little mishap he had uh, on Instagram, <laughs> um, up until that point, like there was there was and even still, like I mean, that's that's a wash. That's under the rug. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he's. Yeah a qualified all star this coming season, um, but it's it's the mental side of things. That's what I think drove me to believe that Jamal is that higher echelon player than than a Thon Maker. I think Thonmaker Maker had capped already in yeah. terms of what he was going to be. Whereas you could see if Jamal kept going on this trajectory, there's no stopping this kid. Like he called. Jamal said to me one day we were at, we were at the Mandarin I remember we were going all, we went all you eat, all you can eat at the Mandarin and this dude <laughs> is sitting there and he's like he said I'm not trying to be better than Thon like I don't care about that he's like I'm trying to be better than Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant like that's who I'm chasing so when somebody says something like that to you that goes into your scout notes and then you go talk to the NBA guys about that and when they learn that he's for real about what he said oh it's game over
1: yeah. Yeah, you can see it in the work ethic Where when he comes in, it's like, wow, this guy's, this guy's all business, no doubt. Um, Elias, I want to hear from you. This this past bubble playoff, whatever it, this you know this whole season was just crazy. Uh, but they play in the bubble, and the first round was super entertaining. I mean, Jamal came back from two, three, one comebacks, uh, which is insane, unheard of. One of them is insane, let alone two in a row, nuts. Um, but he's sitting there and he's giving Donovan Mitchell 50 and he's balling. He's, he's going through defenses and and going acrobatic. Like, are you ever sitting there watching these things? Like, wow, I met this kid at 14 and I definitely either saw this coming or had no idea it would get to this level. Like, do you ever have that feeling of like, wow, what the heck is going on right now?
0: Uh, there's, there's a couple of games that he exploded on and i was just like shoot like this is he's kind of ahead of it i ahead of where i thought he would be yeah um but i did believe that like we called him an all-star before he got drafted i knew he was going to be an all-star one day before he even was drafted before he even got to kentucky but in terms of what he did at the bubble i thought that that was ahead of the time that i thought he would explode like that yeah and even guys like Westbrook and guys like Donovan Mitchell and, and Victor Oladipo and like everyone was in shock yeah. at what he was doing. Um, was including. Special. Yeah. Like we never, we never got to hear about it from, I don't think Bron ever tweeted anything or said anything about Jamal, but I think the entire league was shocked at what he was doing.
1: Yeah. though so, They were all tweeting live tweeting. The,
0: the only people that weren't is Denver. Cause they see it every day in practice. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you know, it's funny you bring that up because a lot of times he's snapping on the court and they all look like it's just, you know, business as usual. Like it's just another day in the office. Like there's no reaction where everyone's like snapping. What the heck is going on? This guy is just drilling like half court shots contested and his teammates are just high fiving on the way back. It's like what goes on in practice to these guys, man?
0: Man, he's he's been in the gym for so many hours. You should, like, the sh- some of the ridiculous shots he put up, like, I, could, I can point one in particular that I think you guys would remember. He went up with his right hand, and he spun 360 and finished with his left around, uh, forget, it was a big man. I forgot who it was, but it was in the bubble. Yeah. Um, I think and, it was off
1: of a rebound, maybe. Uh, but I could be, I think I know which one you're talking about.
0: But, yeah, e- either way, like, those levels of difficulties for for his shots You look at that and you're like, dude has practiced pretty much every shot in the book. Like when he was shooting with his right and his left hand in high school and he was shooting near the same percentage, like in drill work, he was already over 80% in drill work, which usually makes up for half of that in game in the NBA, 40, let's say, or 30. Yeah. Now. He pretty much got bored of just regular shooting, and he started doing circus shots and tough shots and increasing the level of difficulty. And here he is today, man. I think the kid is beyond special, and he has become the new standard for how we evaluate players.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And what's your relationship like with, like with those players, with those guys that come through North Pole Hoops, and you know they eventually make it, you know, to the NBA or overseas or wherever professionally. You know, when they come back, is there any involvement that they still may have with North Pole Hoops? Do you try to maybe get them to talk to maybe any of the the current players you have? Or, you know, what's the relationship like that once they kind of, I guess, graduate from North Pole
0: Hoops? Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we're a a graduation system, so to speak. Like, they could be alumni from our camps, like a Jamal has been or a Shea Gilgis has been or a Nikhil. But I don't think that they're – like, they they don't belong to us. We never – We never make them feel while they're in our circle that like that that you guys owe us anything, and it continues to be that way, and that's why the relationships are are clean and straight to the point. Like they earned everything that they got. Mm -hmm. I don't need a piece of their pie. You know, I didn't. I wasn't the one sweating buckets going into the gym for them. And this goes back to honestly your first question: what draws people to the brand? Mm -hmm. We don't expect anything if a player wants to come back and give back in some, some way, so be it. Um, Nikhil Alexander Walker, who is, I think, just starting on his upward trend in the yeah. league. I think he's going to have a phenomenal career. That is a kid who still comes back, still talks to us, messages back and forth. Like, you know, that's just a real dude. And he, when people just got values, like basic human values, yeah you just uh, you just have that respect level for each other but at no point in any of their careers will yeah. i ever have a handout asking for anything absolutely. from them you know what i mean yeah. like yeah. absolutely. Just,
1: man.
2: yeah
0: and
1: and that's a very arab thing too and uh, <laughs> I, we both understand that we're sitting here like nodding it I, we got it man that's just the thing it's a culture thing too um for and, sure and that's actually a good segue because i want to ask you man like obviously it's a little different on your end but we notice like Anyone can notice this within NBA media, you know, there's not many Arabs out there. There's not many Arabs at all in basketball that I know of uh, other than like Abdel Nader, who's like Egyptian pride on, uh, I think, where is he now? He just got traded. out traded to remember. the Suns. Suns, yeah. Um, but is it hard for you or was it hard for you to make a name in this pocket, like with your cultural background or was that not never a factor for you when you were doing business?
0: No, most definitely it was and it continues to be. There's always, I think, barriers that go up just because, you know, you look different or uh, your name is different. It's not a common one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think people put up, put up walls, people who are in control, if you know what I mean, put up walls and you got to break through them and show that don't look at me, don't look at me for my pigment, don't look at me for my name my cultural background look at me for what i do what is my body of work and let the body of work define what what value you bring to the table um it's been a heck of a journey till today we still battle that kind of stuff but i mean you got to keep going you just got to keep going let the body of work speak for itself
1: yeah for sure Elias, before we let you go we just want to hear like um because we you've dropped a lot of names in here we keep like our jaws keep dropping. Like, oh no, he worked with this guy. He worked with this guy. We just want to know, like, some of the the key people that you've worked with, that you've recruited, um, and that you've seen obviously go to the pros eventually.
0: Um, that's a that's a that's a long list, man.
1: Yeah, say lot. like last like two yeah, years. last like five years. That's five a good
2: years. problem to have for it to be a long list.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a long list. Because you mentioned Shay, you mentioned um, Nikhil. Yeah, did
0: you, are we, did you are work we... with Andrew? Andrew Wiggins. Uh, way back in the day, yeah, we called a couple of his games. Uh, when he was going after Offsa, which was the oh, probably at, that, at that time the most important championship. Um, doesn't have as as much relevance anymore. I was gonna uh, say, <laughs> yeah. Uh Stauskus for sure that's 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 a homie. Iona. Um yeah. yeah. Stauskus
1: and- actually played against us in high school. Well not uh, us so- <laughs> personally like against our high school Yeah. At Joan of Arc cuz he went to Loyola. Iona- Loyola? Yeah, yeah he went yeah. to Loyola down the street. This was when he was in maybe grade 9 or 10 I think his dad was the coach. And I'm like man a couple years later this guy was in Michigan drilling threes in March. I was like wow this yep. what a transition. Like it happened in no time.
0: Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, it was, it was almost an. It felt like an overnight feeling. Yeah. No doubt, I agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, That's a yeah. lengthy
1: list, man. Great, great problem to have. And shout out to you and Tarek for doing, doing what needed to be, what needed to happen. I think in the last ten years, especially, there's been a huge advancement in the basketball culture. Um, North Pole Hoops is a staple in the culture, and then obviously the you know the success that the Raptors have had in the last five, six, seven years has really helped. Elevate that uh, that culture, and Zayda and I were we did we actually were peel refs, uh, and a couple of years ago we were roughing out of Brampton. There's a crazy competitive league in mm-hmm, Brampton mm-hmm. Um, where they're just funneling these kids, man. And I remember I was coaching or roughing some of these games, and some of these kids are eight nine years old with like impeccable defensive stances and rotations and shuffling their feet, and it. it's just exciting to see like the future of basketball in Canada is looking is looking good, man. So shout out to you guys for what you started. Uh, we wish you guys nothing but the best man and you know thank you again for for all your time and, and joining the show
0: no i appreciate you guys man it's uh, it's always fun talking talking ball and anytime you want to chop it up I'm, I'm happy to i noticed that you said down the street when you were talking about stauskas i'm actually in the mississauga area if you guys when, once we're offline we can set up a time we can we can meet up in person so i'm, well, I'm yeah, happy absolutely thank you guys absolutely yeah, bro
1: man. thanks a lot for your time man.
0: you bet you bet have a good one